as they say, you don't always put your eggs in the same basket. So the pension plan that we're looking at really is the personal pension plan, which is one that can be paid for by your corporation. And as you're putting monies in this pension, it's tax deductible for the corporation. So you're paying with what we call pre-tax dollars as compared to paying yourself a salary and then putting it into an RSP. This is money that is within the corporation and your pension plan is actually managed by a financial planner. So it's not, you're still in control of the funds to a certain extent, but it acts as a pension plan, which is covered under the act for pensions that really shelters it from uh, creditor proof set, if you will, inside your corporation. So this is something that allows you to invest Plus, the fees related to a pension plan are also paid by the corporation and are tax deductible. The more time we have to plan, the better. Um, that famous saying, if you fail to plan, you're planning to fail. So we always want to capture those conversations early on in somebody's career or, or at the earlier stages of life just because there's certain things that we can do now that'll have a huge impact later on uh, when the person is ready to retire or somebody is deceased in the family. You know, it's it's not when somebody's ill or incapacitated and then you're dealing with powers of attorney and things like that. It's really, as we try to catch those conversations as early as possible. How does tax planning fit into what an accountant should do. I know that my accountant should do the filing <laughs> so that I'm compliant with CRA, but how much of that tax planning discussion occur or in, and how often do you see it in your practice or maybe in other people's practice? How's my financial health doc? Welcome to the Financial Literacy Podcast for Healthcare Professionals where financial security and wealth topics are not a taboo. In our previous podcast, we talked about best interest standard and suitability standard. Here, I'm going to be speaking with a CPA accountant who will talk to us about what a strategic accountant does in regards to the topic that he discusses with his clients and nothing is left on the table. Everything is clear and transparent and all options are discussed and evaluated. Unlike accountants who simply do your filing, strategic accountants and those who do taxes will actually speak to you about things that you need to know and not only things that you want to know. Like I mentioned in the previous podcast, you really wanna know what the alternatives are so that you can make a true educated decision. And this is what a accountant should do. So welcome to uh, the show, How Is My Financial Health Talk podcast, and I am your host, Vuket Tran. This week, we have with us an, an expert and an expert in the field of accounting. But as you will see very quickly, it is beyond the field of accounting. He knows much more in that. And my guest today is Mr. Norman Ull. Uh, Mr. Ull, welcome to the show. Thank you, uh, Dr. Tran. It's a pleasure to be here. Oh, please. Uh, no, Dr. Tran, just vous. 
So let me introduce properly uh, Mr. Ul. So Mr. Norman Ul is the president of Ul and Associates. And so Ul and Associates is a premium chartered professional accounting firm based in Ottawa area. And his team of accountants are experienced, knowledgeable, and available when you need them. They pride themselves on providing each and every one of their clients with custom tailored solution for their tax. And I think this is going to be really important as we go into the discussion, why I focus really on this aspect of tax planning and financial planning needs. And as I mentioned earlier, uh, Mr. Ul is not just an accountant, so he's much more and much more knowledgeable than that. It is uh, their focus to develop strong and long-lasting relationships with their clients by understanding their goals and objective they help uh, their clients plan for continued and long-lasting success. Mr. Ul, have I forgotten anything or was there anything I didn't say that you wanted to add to that? No, that's perfect, actually. And, and uh, just one other thing that we do have clients coast to coast in Canada. Uh, our firm specifically does not deal with Quebec because they have their own set of tax rules, but any other province will do. And because we have such a large number of positions as clients, uh, they are spread out uh, throughout the country, but we're here to help them out. And also just a bit of background of myself. Uh, I've been in a tax uh, preparation business for over 30 years, but before I bought into this firm, I was a controller at a number of small and uh, public companies. And there uh, as a controller, you're wearing many hats as uh, the accountant to the tax specialist, in some cases, the HR specialist, the legal specialist, always had a dynamic role. And uh, I bring that with me in the firm here and in wearing many hats and offering uh, various uh, levels of advice to our clients. Well, thank you for sharing that background, because I think it's very important. I just want to unpack a little bit uh, what you just said there. First of all, the word controller sounds really scary. I I'm like, oh my God, are you going to control me or not? But you know what? When I was, before I did my MBA, I, I had no clue of, you know, of the uh, economics and the uh, and anything outside of medicine. I did not know. So the first time I heard controller, I'm like, what is a controller? What do they control? So controller is in fact a, an accountant, but they, I, I, like you said, uh, they do much more than that. And the other thing that is, uh, I want to uh, really uh, emphasize is, as a controller of small business or even large business, the, the role is really looking at tax efficiency. Uh, and it's not just filing taxes, but really looking at tax planning and tax efficiency. And I think that's the background that you bring to your current clients as well. Yeah, absolutely. And knowing the tax rules and what is deductible and what is not deductible. And obviously, there are formulas in some cases where not everything is 100% deductible. So knowing the difference is, is uh, really uh, knowing, knowing the difference is really uh, great for our clients to know exactly what they can and cannot do. Good, good. And, and we're going to have a discussion about that today. So the reason why I have you as my guest today is because we want I wanted to tackle the the topic of what does it mean to have a strategic accountant on my team? What, what does that look like? What are the things that my accountant should look out for me as a incorporated healthcare professional? What are the different aspects we should look at? And your, your background really fits into this discussion. I, um, I just very recently learned that there are 
different types of accountants, like there are different types of physicians. Now that that seemed obvious to me that there are family doctors, there's emergency doctors, there's orthopedic surgeons and nephrologists and neurosurgeons. That, that seemed very obvious to me. What did not seem obvious to me was there's very similar type of spectrum, even in accounting. And so what we're going to talk about today is maybe look at the different spectrums and look at what different accountants do. I, I understand that there are uh, people who are bookkeepers. Or I understand there are people who uh, do the tax filing. There are people who do tax planning uh, as a strategic plan. There are people who do forensics accounting. And there are people who uh, also do audits. So there are different types of, of accountants out there. I think the vast majority of us as physicians and healthcare professionals, we engage maybe one or two types of accountants. And I really wanted to understand what those type of accountants are and how do we, um, how do we know which one we're dealing with. But more importantly, I wanted to end our discussion with, okay, how do I work and how do I know I've got an accountant who is being strategic? And I'm going to rely on you to, um, to lead us through that discussion. All right, perfect. Thanks, Vu. So really, a strategic accountant, in my mind, really is somebody who goes above and beyond the numbers, uh, is not just there to push paper, as they say, or, or a bookkeeper who just does data entry uh, without giving proper advice to their clients. Um, there's a lot of areas in the accounting field, as you mentioned, people doing audits or forensic audits that are very specialized. And in our firm, what we look at is really the uh, income tax implications, both at the corporate and personal level for our clients, because the rules are, are very different. Um, and also, so are some of the deductions that people can take. So this is where we really uh, go above and beyond and really look at the client's needs specifically. And we've stepped into the realm of financial planning in the sense that we look to minimize their income taxes. So when they're working with their financial planners, then they have a better idea of what they can do, what the tax implications will be. Is it positive? Is it negative? Um, when do I pay my taxes? Things like that. So this is really what's taken our firm, I guess, a head and shoulders above a, your stereotypical accounting firm that, like you said, would only do personal or corporate tax returns with very limited advice. What really stands out from what you're telling me is, I mean, in addition to doing the filing of the taxes, of course, that's the bare minimum of what an accountant does. The other part is looking at the overall financial plan and looking at where we can meet tax efficiency, minimize taxes, and also help the client keep more of his money now and in the future. Does every accountant who comes out of accounting school can do that, or does it take extra training and extra licenses? Oh, yes, absolutely. It takes extra training. Uh, our, at our firm, we're uh, firmly committed to ongoing learning uh, and education. So we have monthly reviews of the latest tax rulings or court cases that come out uh, from CRA, and, and this keeps us abreast of any new developments that the government throws at us. Uh, we like to say there's two, you know, two sure things in life, a provincial budget and a federal budget. So those always introduce uh, new tax rules, and we want to make sure that we're on top of it and provide that kind of advice to our clients. 
<laughs> I thought I thought it would be the two sure things are taxes and death, but uh, I really like that joke. That was really good. That was it's really, not a really joke. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, unfortunately, it's reality. I guess it's the three things. Then you you still have death, and then you have the taxes. <laughs> that was very good. Okay, so when you sit down with uh, your client, and and I would say maybe if account when when accountants sit down with their clients, what are the things that they should talk about in their either semi-annual or annual meeting? What are the things that they should review with them? Well, what we're looking at is their personal situation mainly. Is there's changes in their family situation, whether they're getting married or getting divorced, uh, have their you know new children, um, you know have they had new children last year or this year, whether through adoption or, or naturally, also looking at any uh, health issues as well in the family. If they have kids with, you know, some, some sort of care or some sort of disability, well, then the government offers some kind of compensation through the disability tax credit forms that a physician will fill out. And uh, a lot of people don't realize it, but they can actually go back up to 10 years uh, when the, when the, uh, a child or, or the, you know, in some cases it's a parent as well, if they were first diagnosed with a situation, you know, up to 10 years ago, we can actually apply for those uh, annual tax credits for our, our, our clients. We'll have those discussions. We also get into, you know, do you have a will? Is it updated? Uh, do you have proper disability insurance? You're, you're basically self-employed. You're working for yourself. So do you have that in place? Not, not that I sell any of those products or I can be a lawyer to, to uh, develop a will for you, but we'll bring in those experts as we need them. And so I think that's where uh, we have kind of a team approach at our firm that uh, obviously we know our limitations with regards to certain topics. But if we need to bring in a lawyer or a banker or a financial planner, we'll bring them in as needed to meet your needs. Okay, very good. I think that's a very good reminder for the audience that, you know, speak to your accountant uh, about those type of things. Because again, we don't know what we don't know. And uh, we rely on experts in our on our team to uh, talk about that and bring those concepts up. A next question that I have is how does tax planning fit into what an accountant should do? I know that my accountant should do the filing <laughs> so that I'm compliant with CRA, but how much of that tax planning discussion occur or in, and how often do you see it in your practice or maybe in other people's practice? Well, tax planning, or I guess our definition really is sitting down with a client at least once a year, just reviewing you know, what happened last year, what was... The, the tax implications of certain actions that they took, whether they bought or sold property or stocks, and then what's coming up in the new year. And what can I anticipate my tax bill to be? Uh, in some cases, there's, there's some large fluctuations in people's income for various reasons. So nobody likes that big surprise at the end of the year. So what we try to do is give them somewhat of a tax estimate of what we expect the tax bill to be and maybe get on a monthly or quarterly basis of prepaying your taxes or pay as you go, as the CRA would like to say. And this way you're not uh, subject to this big surprise at the end of the year when you're filing either your corporate tax or your personal tax. And of course, we're also looking at different opportunities to add value and, and bring in 
um, you know, additional experts if we need, whether it's a financial planner or a banker or a lawyer to update your wills, uh, things like that, uh, to make sure that, you know, we're, our customers are really looked after. And When it comes to tax planning, uh, I often talk about uh, retirement, estate planning, and the very famous but unknown uh, deemed disposition problem that people have. At what point do you talk to your clients about those type of things? Uh, near the end of the career, at the beginning of the career, in the middle, where do you see, uh, from your experience, is the best time to talk about those type of things? Well, it's always uh, best to talk about it as soon as possible, because the more time we have to plan, the better. Um, that famous saying, if you fail to plan, you're planning to fail. We always want to capture those conversations early on in somebody's career or, or at the earlier stages of life just because there's certain things that we can do now that'll have a huge impact later on uh, when the person is ready to retire or somebody is deceased in the family. You know, it's it's not when somebody's ill or incapacitated and then you're dealing with powers of attorney and things like that. It's really, as we try to catch those conversations as early as possible. Absolutely. I, I uh, thank you for, for confirming what I was thinking. And always, you know, at the end of the day, we can always plan uh, but things go awry and new things emerge. You know, there's a very famous boxer that I'm sure you know, Mike Tyson. Uh, Mike Tyson's once said, everybody has a plan until you get punched in the mouth. And uh, and so I, obviously the plan uh, cannot predict everything, but at least like you say, um, failure to, to plan is a plan to fail. But So at least have a plan, have a direction and things could be corrected uh, in uh, when these uh, emergence uh, come about. Yeah, absolutely. And and uh, sorry to cut you off. This is this is where it's important to also have those semi-annual or annual reviews as well, because like you said, life throws us curveballs, and it's hard to predict what a situation will be in three or five years from now. So it's always good to have these follow-up meetings or checkups, or you know, uh, that that you can see if we're still on target with our with meeting our goals. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's funny that, you know, in, in finance, we talk about these checkups and we talk about these meetings, uh, but yet in medicine, we've gone away from these annual physicals. I mean, the literature shows that there's no evidence in, in annual physicals. That being said, you know, there's still value in a certain type of regular meetings, uh, even with your, with your regular doctor. And so I, I'm a strong believer that th this regular touch point is is very important, whether it's for your health or for your finances. I totally agree. Yeah, your your financial health is just as important. So, um, when you are meeting uh, with your clients, um, and we were talking about the planning, it takes years and years to plan because for a certain strategy to develop to fully flourish, it does take time. Uh, and it does take the power of compounding. And you mentioned something earlier uh, about uh, uh, having your money work for you uh, and, and having the most bang of money work for you as, as opposed to you working for yourself. And so that takes time to develop, to, to mold, to nurture. So when you, when you spend time with your clients, what, do you, what are the different types of concepts that you talk to them about? I'm assuming, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm assuming that most accountants don't do this. Uh, you do this in your firm because you've taken a holistic approach, but things like, for example, uh, trust, things like family trust, alter ego trust, pensions, 
RCAs. Um, this is not something that a lot of my colleagues have heard about. It, very interesting that 100% of them have accountants, but I would say 95 and above 99% of them, when I speak to them about pensions and RCAs and, and trust, or they have no clue what I'm talking about. And it's, and it's natural because we don't live in that type of environment. And so when and, and what do you talk to your clients about when you meet them? Well, it's, it's all about education, too, and, and the, the levels of uh, specialties that these accountants have. And in our case, we've, we've chosen to educate ourselves on the different avenues or the different tools uh, in, a, in a financial planner's toolbox, I call it, uh, that we could use to uh, either defer taxes, minimize taxes, or avoid taxes. And there's other ways. You mentioned a few, like using a family trust or a pension plan within a corporation. These are different uh, strategies that we talk about uh, and their tax implications, whether it's now or in the future. We also talk about things like life insurance, our whole life insurance policies paid by a corporation. Uh, I used to call that kind of a pension plan because you didn't have to die to get access to the money. You could actually put money in a policy and actually have access to it well before you die as part of your retirement fund. But now they've come up with these personal pension plans, which, again, is another way to um, secure your financial future through retirement and have the corporation pay for it. So, again, it's one of those things where you work hard for your money, but let's have your money work hard for you. I like that. Have my money work hard for me because I'm very lazy. I really don't want to work for my money. Uh, now, I just want to unpack a few things, and uh, we spoke about this, and, and we're going to talk more uh, as well about investments, just a, maybe a, a small word about investment. Uh, but I just want to come back and circle back to the concept of, of family trust. Um, so what what exactly are family trusts, and maybe just maybe a one, two sentence, how that comes and help into uh, into your planning? So a family trust really is uh, a way to set up a Picture it as just another bank account that you can set up for your family. You could name um, yourself, your spouse, your kids, even a, even a whole holding company as beneficiaries of the corporation and of the trust, I should say. And typically, the trust would allow you to pay these people and do some income splitting. I know there's rules have changed in the past, but there's still ways of doing it, and it's really effective where somebody can actually sell their practice and set up set up a, a, a family trust is, is such a way that if the shares of a corporation are sold of a small private corporation the lifetime capital gains exemption can be multiplied between all of the all of the beneficiaries so uh, in a nutshell basically the, the family trust allows to reduce the overall income tax for the family as opposed to always having money flow through the main breadwinner or the main physician of a corporation, let's say. Um, so we use we use that as a strategy. And also, uh, you mentioned also the alter ego trust is a way to set up investments in a trust that are um, more private than, let's say, a, a, a common mutual fund account, which has certain reporting rules where a trust is more private uh, although the, the government is talking about changing the rules and 
um, wanting to divulge the uh, the settlers and the trustees and the beneficiaries of the trust just to know who's got what, mainly because of the added uh, influence uh, or focus towards the uh, money laundering situations that we've seen in the past. So there's been a lot of cases where people are trying to evade taxes, not necessarily avoid, um, evade the tax system as opposed to avoiding or deferring taxes. So this is where certain strategies will work with, again, tax specialists, lawyers, or your, your financial planner to see what is best for you. Absolutely. We don't want people to evade tax. We want people to be tax efficient. So I'm, I'm glad you, you brought that point up uh, because we want to be CRA compliant for sure. You also mentioned pensions. So what, what pension, what private pension were, were you referring to and how does that play into your strategy and your armamentarium? So again, when we're talking about these strategies, we don't necessarily focus on one versus the other. As they say, you don't always put your eggs in the same basket. So the pension plan that we're looking at really is the personal pension plan, which is one that can be paid for by your corporation. And as you're putting monies in this pension, it's tax deductible for the corporation. So you're paying with what we call pre-tax dollars as compared to paying yourself a salary and then putting it into an RSP. This is money that is within the corporation and your pension plan is actually managed by a financial planner. So it's not, you're still in control of the funds to a certain extent, but it acts as a pension plan, which is covered under the act for pensions that really shelters it from uh, our creditor proofs that, if you will, inside your corporation. So this is something that allows you to invest. Plus the fees related to a pension plan are also paid by the corporation and are tax deductible, which in some cases, those fees cannot be tax deductible, for instance, in an RSP or a TFSA. So these are strategies that, again, we discuss with our clients to see what best meets their needs. So let's come to the um, concept of the whole life because you mentioned that. So mm-hmm. how how is whole life insurance uh, as a tax tool and how is a whole life as a quote unquote saving tool play into your strategy when you when you plan for your clients? All right. So if, if a person, uh, most cases, we all need some some level of life insurance and uh, it's best to have it paid by the corporation, of course, because you can get more bang for your buck there too, because if you're paying with pre-tax dollars, you can qualify for a higher level of life insurance compared to if you were to pay yourself a salary, pay the taxes, and then be left with some money to buy life insurance, you would probably qualify for a lower amount. Now, the life insurance policy is, again, governed by the Life Insurance Act. So again, it's, it's somewhat creditor-proof. And the whole life insurance policy, or some, some call it a participating whole life, uh, is basically a, a, a combination of life insurance and an investment at the same time. So what you see is that the life insurance premium stays stable throughout your lifetime. But for the first seven to 10 years, your premium is actually paying for the insurance. And part of it is going into, I'll call it the investment bucket. But after those seven or 10 years, your premiums go straight into that investment bucket and it grows. How does it grow? Life insurance companies are taking that money and they're investing it for you. And as a life insurance policy holder, 
you're considered somewhat of a shareholder of the life insurance company. So they pay out dividends. And in the last 200 years, life insurance companies have always paid dividends. And it's ranged anywhere from 6 to 9%, depending on the economy at the time. But it's guaranteed money. And what happens is at a certain time, you can either borrow money from that investment portion of your life insurance policy during your lifetime and call it a loan. And all that does is reduce your life insurance payout if you pass away. So some people choose to take it out as a loan. The other option is you could actually take that life insurance policy to the bank and let's say it's for $1 million. Well, the bank will loan you 90% of that money to retire because guess what? As we mentioned before, there is a guaranteed life and there's one guarantee in life is death. So if that bank is holding your life insurance policy, they know they're going to get their money back from that loan. So this is where they're going to loan you the $900,000 to do what you want with it and retire. So those are the two uh, main strategies uh, of being able to access that cash while you're living. But also I see some people would just let it grow and it's there to pay the ultimate tax bill when a person passes away because uh, essentially the Canadian tax rules state that once a person passes away, you're deemed to have sold everything you owned the day before. So there are tax rules protecting your house. So if there's a gain on the sale of your house, you won't pay tax on it. But any non-registered investments or any other assets that you hold, like a cottage or something else, you're deemed to have sold it the day before. So there might be some capital gains, definitely some tax implications there. So some people like to have this life insurance policy in place to cover that tax. So it's not such a burden on the family or the estate. Uh, you, you brought up... Uh two major points i'm just going to unpack that a little bit one you know the the tax efficiency of the whole life insurance uh, because it falls under the uh, life insurance act as opposed to the income tax act but the other point that you mentioned is the deemed disposition and the deemed disposition is a funny thing because we all die but we don't think we will when at time of death or the day before we have to give back to the government our fair share of taxes. And so nobody, nobody really escaped taxes. We can either sell our cottage and pay half in taxes. We can either sell our non-registered and even registered assets and pay the taxes on it and then leave the rest to the estate. Or we can keep all of those and have the life insurance policy pay that tax liability. And so there are many ways to to do this uh, for the retirement and estate planning. Uh, and your point is 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 clear. It, it takes planning. It takes time. And in the case of a of a whole life policy, you mentioned it takes seven to ten years to break even because the se- the first seven to ten years is really to to pay for that life insurance premium, and then the rest is invested afterwards as it grows. So it does take time to build something. Uh, of value, uh, and I think people people forget that that uh, to to build something of value, it does take time. When it comes to life insurance, too, uh, the way the insurance companies do it is obviously it's cheaper to buy life insurance when you're younger, you're healthier. So again, an emphasis on really starting these conversations early in somebody's career that they get started with this, and so the premiums are you know more affordable as they as they uh, grow within their career. So all of a sudden, you know, paying $50 a month or $100 a month when you're young, 
is peanuts when you're, you know, when you're deep into your career, but you've got this pot of money growing, uh, essentially tax-free inside this life insurance policy and accessible tax-free as well. So it's uh, one thing too, I just wanted to mention too, to the listeners is that yes, the premiums can be paid by your corporation, but they're not tax deductible because the benefit of the life insurance is coming into you tax-free or coming into the corporation in this case, if the policy is owned by the corporation. Exactly, exactly. I think that's a good point to uh, to emphasize. Uh, and we talk about life insurance and we've obviously just focused on uh, permanent whole life insurance. But as you say, the earlier you start thinking about this, the better. And for someone who's starting their career, a participating whole life insurance may not be the best thing. And we can talk about term life. And, and so term life has its role and purpose and participating have its own role and purpose and different different goals have different solutions but your point is there is start having those conversations young as opposed to in mid or end of career correct yes exactly when you're young when you're healthy uh you bring up the term life insurance you're right and specifically with young couples uh this is where you have the mortgage and the car payments and the kids responsibilities so you know, there's, there's many benefits to life insurance. It's not just when a person dies, it's, it's income replacement. It could be debt repayment. It could repay that that mortgage, especially if your spouse is still working, that, that's great. And and it also, like we said, provides the, the ultimate tax bill relief, if you will, when you, when you have life insurance in place. So, you know, having the term life insurance, yes, it's cheaper and you can, you can definitely qualify for more when you're younger, but then, you know, maybe a 10 or 20 year term would be sufficient. And then by that point, presumably your career is on board and, and you've got some savings. You know, the mortgage is maybe gone after 20 years. So we don't need uh, that dependency on having a flow of funds when, when one of the spouses passes away. So we talked about life insurance, but are there other type of insurances that that you talked about as that you talk about as well as part of the uh, overall holistic strategic planning. For example, uh, we didn't really talk about disability. We didn't talk about critical illness. So, what are the different other type of insurance that we should be thinking about? Those are the two main ones. I mean, most of our clients are self-employed, so it's very important that they do have disability insurance because you never know if something's going to happen. Uh, as a surgeon, you know, you break your hand. All of a sudden, you're not a surgeon anymore, right? So the disability insurance is quite important to provide you that income. And they also have clauses which are called own occupation. So yes, you're a surgeon, you broke your hand, you can't uh, perform surgery anymore, but you can still answer a telephone. So instead of having you work in a call center, if you have this own occupation feature in your disability policy, the insurance company has to pay you out because you're unable to perform your own occupation as a surgeon. So that's very critical. Uh, and then speaking of critical illness, that's something else we talk to our clients about is qualifying for uh, critical illness insurance, which is essentially a lump sum payment that comes to you once you've been diagnosed by one to 35 different illnesses that are recognized by the insurance companies. And I'm told there's also one or two insurance companies out there that will pay more than once on a critical illness. So today I might have a heart attack, so they'll pay me you know, 100,000 today, but then in 10 years I'll develop cancer and bang, I get another 100,000 
through the critical illness uh, insurance policy. Uh, and then there's some that have, if you don't dip into your disability or you don't dip into your critical illness uh, policies, meaning that these insurance companies don't have to pay out, they'll actually return a portion of your premiums. So uh, again, it could be seen as a forced savings, but also as a very good safety net when you're self-employed. Um, this return of premium is fairly new on the market, uh, and but it's something to really investigate for those who uh, feel that this is a good fit for them. There are other type of insurances. I, I don't know if you talk to your clients much about this, uh, long-term care insurance, but also for uh, small business owners and, and physicians who own their own clinics. Uh, there's this called... Um, Business overhead. Yeah, oh, yeah, overhead. Yeah, that's another one. You're right. Yeah, yeah. that'll uh, that'll help you with overhead expenses. Again, should you become disabled, um, you know, or or you're off for any point of time, uh, I've got some physicians that you know they'll go off on mat leave or something like that, for for a number of months or a year, um, and then but they still committed to that over overhead expense for their clinics. Um, so yeah, there, there's various types of insurance, and, and this is where we'll we'll talk about bringing in an insurance specialist who'll take a a holistic approach and and do a, a very thorough needs analysis of what type of insurance you need and then how much. Some people will say, "Oh, I'm covered through the OMA, I'm okay." Well, yeah, but you're you're part of a group, and what often happens with these group insurance plans is somebody's always shopping for the cheapest price. And sometimes going after the cheapest price knocks off a few features that might be important to you or might be necessary for you. So it's always best to have your own policies in place. So your own disability, your own critical illness, your own life insurance, disability, uh, you know, all these types of insurance, it's better to have it under your own control because you're not at the mercy of a group that decides for whatever reason that we're going to cut out a certain feature because we're going to save $2 we highly recommend that people talk to a, an insurance broker that, that will be able to sit down and really not only identify the types of insurance, but really analyze what your specific needs are. Uh, we always say when people tell us, oh, no, I have enough life insurance or I have enough disability insurance. And, you know, with the cost of living that we've seen recently, you know, it's it's hard to fathom what's enough. Oh, exactly. And and I think those discussions about insurance and maybe I, sh I shouldn't say insurance because people don't like the word insurance. Uh, people think uh, someone's going to sell me some insurance. So I don't I, I like I don't like to use that word, even though I, I understand what it is. I think I'm going to use the worst risk mitigation. And um, for people who who own small businesses or for yourself, who who has worked and, ex and has experience in major corporations, everyone understand what risk management mean <laughs> and so yes exactly but for for us physicians who all of a sudden became small business owners because we're allowed to incorporate risk management means nothing to us and so i think we need to start educating physicians who are incorporated to understand what risk management is we we understand risk management when it comes to professional liability because we're covered by the cmpa but there are other type of risk management that we need to look at and insurance is just one part of that in fact is the is a major part of that but if you say insurance they'll shy away from it but if you say risk management oh they're all ears all of a sudden and so i think i think the wording is is very important you mentioned the oma insurance and group insurance uh, a lot of my colleagues have bought the oma uh, critical illness insurance 
and the critical illness insurance is uh, 50,000. Uh, and so when I hear that, I'm saying, well, okay, well, in addition to that critical illness that you bought from the OMA, uh, do you have other type of critical illness or do you have more amount that you're being covered for? No, no, I'm good at 50,000. And I, I just look at that and say, well, you have to be careful because 50,000 for a uh, for a family doctor is, is uh, two months of work, right? So, and if someone has, for example, the examples you gave, uh, a heart attack or stroke or whatever, if they can't work for six months, well, for someone who makes 50,000 a month, that's 300,000, right? So 50,000 is woefully insufficient to cover for that. And so I think people need to understand what their needs are. And just because I bought some critical illness from someone may not be enough. And those type of discussion is what you guys do as, as strategic accountants. And, and I hope that all accountants do that. Well, I hope so too, because it's, it's, it's very important. And, and it's um, you're right. You're, 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 you guys are all very good at what you do. You went to school for it and you're experts in your field. However, finances and, and risk management aren't things that they taught us in school. So when you're, when, you know, when you graduate and like I said, you become a business owner and you're incorporated, you're so busy with your daily lives, your, your, your careers, your families, that a lot of this seems to take to the back burner. And I like to bring it forward with our clients when we meet with them, uh, either initially or during our semi-annual or annual meetings to just remind them that, you know, we have to look at certain things. And I hate, I hate to see it when a couple comes in with a couple of kids and they say, we have no will. You know, oh, my God, what were to happen if you were in a car accident driving home today? Does Uncle Eddie look after the kids? Who knows, right? So uh, these are definitely important conversations to have with clients. I, I like this proactiveness uh, of your uh, of your uh, counseling. There, we we spoke a lot. Uh, I've I've asked you a bunch of questions. Are there things that we didn't talk about that, as an accountant, a strategic accountant, you yourself would say, Vu, when when we are going to be talking about this, here are the things I'd like to be proactive about. Or are there things that we didn't chat about that you want to communicate to us? Well, here's a new target on your backs as physicians is HST. So the government in its wisdom is now qualifying what is subject to HST versus what isn't. Um, and to the best of our knowledge, we've kind of come up with our own definition is that a physician is either doing clinical work or non-clinical work, meaning we're either doing direct patient care, which is not subject to HST, or we're doing teaching or we're doing reports for insurance companies or we're doing other things that are not direct patient care and so CRA in its need for money has dubbed all these extra services that physicians do has made them subject to HST now some of the hospitals understand the concept and they're willing to pay the physicians the HST that they collect and then remit to CRA some of them don't some of them like we're we're you know, we're all aware of the OMA versus CRA on the on the whole on-call stipend battle. Uh, is it clinical or is it non-clinical when a physician is on call? This is a kind of a gray area for a lot of physicians right now. And some of them are getting audited and being told, hey, you know what? You should have collected HST. So now CRA is converting our physicians partly into tax collectors for HST. So this is another area that we discuss with our physician clients. Um, that they should be aware of, and in most cases, you only have to sub, you only have to 
register for HST when you reach that that specific type of income is greater than $30,000 per year. If it's below $30,000, you're safe. You don't have to collect HST. But on the flip side, the HST you pay for some of your professional dues, some of your services, your cell phone, for example. Well, I can't claim that HST back if I'm not a, an HST registrant. So we'll kind of do the calculations for our clients to see if it makes sense at what point they should register for HST. But definitely, if you are performing work or offering services that are subject to HST and your income is greater than $30,000 specifically for those transactions, then you must register for HST. Thank you for sharing that with us. A lot of our colleagues will do uh, what I call non-clinical work that are really, there's no gray about it. They're truly non-clinical work. For example, a lot of us are experts for uh, legal uh, case reviews. A lot of us will do, um, well, in fact, I I wonder, you know, uh, if independent medical assessments for uh, legal work or for WSIB or workman's compensation, in my mind, that seems sort of like a clinical work, but it may be defined differently by the CRA. So a lot of us will do a lot of non-clinical stuff. For example, we would consult for different healthcare companies or pharmaceutical companies. And so I think we have to be really careful how we uh, how we report those income and, uh, and have an accountant uh, clarify that is very important. Yes, absolutely. And, and and there are some gray areas and, the, and even CRE isn't 100% sure in some cases as to what's subject to HST or what isn't, but it's really making our clients aware of it and uh, helping them muddle through it and see if this adds another layer of administrative work that the uh, physicians have to keep track of different sources of income. Right now, I, I would say that it's really uh, important for physicians to, again, really test the knowledge of your accountants and see whether or not they are, um, you know, compliance accountants just doing tax returns, or are they able to offer you the advice that you need, that you're looking for, and are they willing to work with your other professionals, whether it be your lawyers, your financial planners, your pension people, it's, it's, quite, uh, it's quite easy to just ask your accountant, what are they qualified to do? Thank you very much, Mr. Uhl, uh, for sh- giving us a sort of a glimpse of what uh, proactive accounting should look like. And, and I'm glad that we've gone through uh, everything to the point where you said, Vu, that's it. <laughs> we've talked about everything. So, so, I'm glad, <laughs> so I'm glad we did. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate the time, Vu. And so thank you for sharing your expertise with us. Uh, and uh, thank you for your time. Thank you for listening to this podcast. And I hope you have enjoyed my discussion with Mr. Normand Hull, who is very strategic and takes time to be proactive in having those discussions with his clients. If you like this podcast, please share it with your colleagues and friends. And if you have any comments or want to leave me some feedback or suggestions for future podcasts, you can email me at hmfhd2020 at gmail.com. How is my financial health doc podcast is hosted by Dr. Vukit Tran. Dr. Tran is a physician with a special interest in personal financial security and wealth education. Dr. Tran does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through this financial podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice. 
Please confer with your advisor, lawyer, or accountant for specific advice.